0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
1: I'm Nil Zacharias and you're listening to eat for the planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Ari Nessel is an investor and philanthropist who is on a mission to transform the way we relate to our food and one another by funding companies and projects that are actively working to disrupt factory farming. All I can say is Ari is a really interesting guy And this conversation is packed with his tips on how to balance the demands and draining effects of working to change the food system through meditation and a gratitude practice. But the scope of this incredible chat is certainly not limited to wellness practices. Ari and I talk about why we need a variety of approaches to tackle the incredibly complex problem that is our current food system. He also talks about his charitable work as well as his involvement as an investor in food startups. If that wasn't enough, we get into the role of effective altruism and how brands can develop effective mission pitches to help communicate their values without turning off any potential consumers. Ari also discusses his work with organizations and corporations to help them enact meat reduction efforts throughout their businesses and shares the advice that he often gives to advocates about overcoming differences to further their goals. Ari is a powerful changemaker because he doesn't believe in forcing his own ideals on anyone else. Rather, this podcast is packed with lessons and strategies he has picked up throughout his career that, frankly, I think everyone could benefit from. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a great chance that you want to help make a positive change in the world. Listening to Ari's tips and advice will surely help you do just that. Ari Nessel, thanks for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. It's a joy to be with you, Neil. And this is, I must say, the first podcast I've... um... Started off after doing a meditation with the guest of the podcast. I typically meditate alone before I start podcasts, and I've never said that before. But now people know that. Uh, but it was great to do that with someone else um, in the room with me, and who I'm then going to have a conversation with. So I appreciate that.
2: Well, maybe it'll be a new habit for you now.
1: Yeah, maybe I'll get my guests to start to do that. Maybe it's tougher on the phone, but in person, that's that's it's great to be. And this, um, thanks for having me over, your. Uh, couldn't be a better environment to meditate in. Not that there's ever a right or wrong environment, but uh I'm really excited to talk to you. I have been meaning to set this up and um have this conversation for a while now. Uh I kept hearing about you from uh various people um for some reason saying that you should connect with Ari and uh you will have a lot in common and uh he would be a great guest for your podcast. So uh that's what's led us to this point. I we met I think last month and um I'm happy we got this scheduled as quickly as we managed to, but um I'm excited to have a conversation with you about all the great work that you're doing and uh we'll see where this goes, yeah. And so right. let's start off with um how did you first get um interested in the food system? Like what got you uh to focus on this to begin with?
2: Well, it started when I was pretty young. Uh, I was 13 years old, uh, visiting Southern California uh, from uh, Michigan, which is where I grew up. And I'm walking down this well-known place called the Venice Boardwalk, which I imagine you're familiar with.
1: And live very close to it now.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And it it always attracted, and it probably still does attract a wide variety of people. And I'm walking down the street, uh, the the boardwalk with my family. This is 1986. And as I'm going down, seeing all these interesting vendors and performers, there's a guy out there who has all this literature or poster boards up uh, in an amateur way uh, that shows how animals are confined, mutilated, and slaughtered for food. It was actually uh, focused on McDonald's. And I read it quite in depth. And it was quite new information for me. Uh, for Obviously, a lot of people today don't know what goes on uh, in factory farming and how meat is created. Uh, but in 1986, it was even less prevalent. So I read it. And at some point, I'm reading through all the, all the literature and the posters. And my mom says, hey, Ari, time to go. And so I w- say, OK. And I walk ahead, seemingly unchanged. 10 years later, flash forward, I'm living in Southern California. <clears throat> so this is 1997. And uh, and I'm walking down the Venice boardwalk, and I see the same guy up ahead. <laughs> don't even walk up to him. Don't even, he's got some kind of board up there again? This time, I don't even know what it is. But for for some reason, everything I read ten years earlier clicks. Mm. And all of a sudden, in that moment, I just have this getcha, gotcha epiphany mm-hmm. that like, wow, like I need to stop, like me making this choice about what, what I'm eating is really causing a lot of suffering. I'm not going to do I, I can't, I, I, I can't know. I don't know how I could eat farm animals, uh, land, land animals again. Mm-hmm. And so from that moment on, I didn't have like, you know, I thought like, oh, maybe I'll have a last in and out burger, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> something like last But No, it was like, it was, it was, there was no last it. It was just sort of like, it was like, this is it. And so uh, that became a gradual um, realization, of a deepening realization of how my choices uh, have ramifications on many other people and beings, animals, besides myself, and wanting to like investigate that more and more and to question my unexamined assumptions.
1: Yeah. And so did you do further research after that? Like, what was your uh, next step? The reason I ask that is because I think most people who change the way they eat, um, most people at least I talk to, all have had a bit of a moment or something that's happened that triggered some sort of change um, in them. And when it, I had a moment like that, it was definitely not, not something that direct. It was kind of subtle. Uh, I then went and started learning a lot more about food production. Um, what did you do next? Did you just do the? Some people do the simple step of just stop eating all the stuff that you know is bad. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to read anything.
2: You know, I think it, it was more, it inclined to be more of an internal Mm-hmm. Uh, investigation than an external investigation you know it inclined me to to look inside and ask my ask myself like what choices are, am i making that are out of integrity with the values that i think i espouse that are uh, aligned with the world i want to see so i think i read a little mm-hmm. but quite frankly once you sort of connect the dots it's just sort of like oh yeah this like makes sense yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean there's it's, there's a cognitive dissonance, and then it's almost like you know the where they do that with like the the, the, the the blue pill and the red pill <laughs> the it's like in that moment I, like I feel like i took the, i took that pill and i I could read more about it to validate my opinions and, and and i have I've read significantly since then, and I know I can talk about this in a very mm-hmm. informed manner. But from like a heart standpoint, it was just like, it was, there was just, it was known.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, most people don't uh, realize this, that if you, you don't have to be told anything and no one needs to tell you what to eat and what not to eat and what's good food and what's bad food. If you just look closely at your food and start questioning it, right. And just, you can even develop a framework around questioning. You can say, What impact did the food have? And then see the answers that you get. Then look at what impact impact did the food have on the world and others around and the beings that were involved in the production of the food. The Secondly, what impact does it have on your own health? How do you feel when you eat it? Thirdly, what relationship do you have with that food? Do you eat it because you are... um, it helps you escape some, some bad feelings and emotions and thoughts. Uh, are you addicted to it in some ways? And then see the answers. Like I, It's almost an exercise I think anyone can do. Look at the answers and then see if you're okay with the answers and if you still want to eat the food. And if the answers tell you that the if, if the food is... Is aligned with what you believe to be true, whether you've previously articulated it or not, as a value, um, and you will automatically know what you should choose. But the problem is, in this day and age, most people don't even examine their food. They don't. They don't think before they eat. They go to In and Out Burger and they buy something um, because it tastes good. And so we are at this point doing the work that you do, and in some ways, I'm involved in. Is how do you um, how do you get you know firstly from a, from a from the people's standpoint how do you get them to almost deprogram themselves and see clearly <laughs> and see with some intuition rather than uh rather than whatever they've been fed uh culturally um so i think that's a big challenge but um so obviously you changed the way you started to eat in the next um years ahead i'm assuming um how did that start to impact the work that you were doing
2: yeah well I think it was a gradual deepening into my own consciousness to match the actions that I was already taking. You know, there's, a, there's an interesting study that actually comes to mind with having made that shift uh, that it seems relevant that, that uh, Tobias Leonard shared with me. And it's a study where they have people come in uh, and fill out this, this questionnaire. And they're asking about animal sentience. Mm. And they say, "Is are, you know, are animals worthy of compassion? Do animals feel pain and suffering? Do they have you know human-like emotions?" And half the people filled that questionnaire out while eating animal products, and half the people filled it out while eating like nuts and berries. And there was a vast difference between how people felt about the capacity for animals to feel pain and their worthiness of consideration based upon what they're eating. Mm. If they were eating animals, they didn't see the animals as worthy. <laughs> Of, uh, of their of their of their attention and of their choices of, of their consideration, and if they weren't, then they did see them mm-hmm. much more so, and it speaks to sort of the fact that we just want to rationalize our behavior. We tend to like want to. Th- we all want to feel we're good people, mm-hmm. and so in that longing to feel like we're good people, we try to make we we try to make our actions seem con- like fit a coherent narrative. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I think for me, the way it happened in in reverse is that I once I changed my behavior, then I then I was able to I was able to read things in a way that I wasn't defended around, hmm. that I could mm-hmm. actually like see things in a more humble way, and a more curious way, and with more clarity than mm. if I was having to justify an, an existing behavior.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's so fascinating. I mean, it's it's because you yeah i think everything is about perspective at the end of the day right if you're able to change your perspective from one angle and i guess in your in your case it started off being changing the way you were eating automatically if you start reading and understanding more of the facts and the and the, the actual reality of it you're probably going to read that with a more open mind now because you've your perspective has changed and uh that I mean, it's it's it's. I'm not studied enough. I, I I think so because I think at the end of the day, we don't we don't know enough about why people make the choices that they do, and um, but we may never know the, the 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 range of factors that contribute to something like food or any other choice that we make. But if you want to get people to change, uh, you've got to try to understand how to undo it. And I I do believe that one there's no one way to. To, to tell people the truth about our food system. Um, and it's just someone the other day asked me about this too, is that what do you, um, you know, what do you think is a right approach? Um, and I said, I don't think there's a right approach because I my way of talking to people about food is just what's true to me. And um, it may resonate with other people who relate with my way of communicating it. But, you know and like in your example you saw someone with uh on the venice boardwalk with uh with with the uh, board signs and and material about about uh, factory farming i'm assuming uh and that resonated with you i've i had seen that and that never resonated with me i mean later on now that i look back at it now it resonates with me much like you see now once you've changed your perspective you open your eyes to everything else and i find that I don't know, endlessly fascinating because we think that there's just one right way and that, you know, people don't like the vegan word or people don't like the animal rights message. Which people? And of course, yes, you can say there's a majority that prefers something or the other, but I think it all is necessary. Um, And I think it all works. You've got to keep trying.
2: We're all so unique. And we all have our own psychology. We're bringing Mm -hmm. our own traumas and our own histories and our own preferences. And so... You know, I think for me, it's interesting. I was never really interested in food. Like, food was not a central aspect of my life. I ate for sustenance. And so all these people were talking for years about how we need to make better food, and that's how we're going to get people to change. Like, no, we've got people to care about, to show them what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, these places. No one was ever going to agree to this, and they're going to think it's terrible. And I yeah. I sort of bought into that idea that Paul McCartney said, if you know, if slaughterhouses say glass walls, I'll we'll be all be vegetarian, or yeah. be, you know, and and now I just see the fallacy of that. Yeah. Uh, that that is that is there is a certain subset subset of the popul- population that may be true for, it, but I think it's a very small subset. Yeah.
1: You're you're right. I mean, I uh, most people I know from are uh, from before. Uh, I mean, my friends and family uh, growing up, um, none of them. They all know what I do. They all. Some of them have my book and uh, have heard this podcast and um, have eaten out with me and I know what what I eat. Have no interest in changing, um, knowing the facts. But when you present them good food, they're happy to eat it. <laughs> so, but,
2: but I know the facts about global warming,
1: yeah,
2: right. And I really deeply care about global warming and climate change. Yet I, you know, yet I still have. Uh, I forget to turn off the light bulbs in my house. Mm-hmm. I, I'll not, I I'll Uber somewhere or Lyft, mm-hmm. and I don't hit the the carpool aspect of it, mm-hmm. right? Or I could bike somewhere. And I, and I and i take i take a car yeah so it's 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 also really important that we see things on a continuum it's not like you're e- you 're not either like a person who's zero carbon in footprint mm-hmm. or a person who's who's just who's in, who's antithetical and indifferent to the state of our cli- you know of our planet yeah there's a there's an opportunity for all of us to deepen into our values that doesn't require that we have to have a binary
1: choice mm-hmm. so then what do you think about um you know, another topic that I love uh, to bring up, and that that I I think is very relevant in this day and age, is this tribalistic nature of um, of people's identity, food identities, or you know the food tribes that they belong to, and it's reflective of the larger things that are happening in society. People are like that about politics and and everything else. It's binary. It's either you're this or you're that, uh, and increasingly, I've gotten frustrated with all of it. I I. Um, I I believe no one's just one thing. I, I believe everyone's sort of um, in a in a continuous process of evolution, and sometimes we you spiral up and we we slip back down. And you know, as you just said, you care about the environment, but sometimes you make choices that you know are probably bad for the environment for whatever reasons, for convenience or um, or you just comfort maybe even. And so, if if you and I can do that, you know, I drove here. I know I did that. I probably could have biked. I think if I made an effort. Um, so so at the same time, so what do you think about the fact that, um, you know, you, do you even identify as a in a certain, you know, are you? Uh, I guess I'm trying to ask about the, uh, you know, you everyone should eat vegan, well, kind I've, of way of thinking, uh, which I I've started to sort of change my mind about that.
2: Well, and, and if I want to be you know, I may have a shirt that says vegan on it. I've got a couple that say it, but in reality, if, if, it'd be more accurate, accurate for it to say ninety eight percent bivalve freegan. It's not so. It would be a great selling shirt, I got to tell you. What does that mean? So I'll tell you what that means. The ninety eight percent is if I go to a, if I, if I order something, I'm not mm-hmm. checking to see the micro ingredients. Mm-hmm. You know, if they put if, if when they, I might bring out my pasta yeah. and they put um, they sprinkle on parmesan, I don't send it back. Mm. You know, if it has like trace amounts of something in it, you know, not meat. I don't feel just out of uh, my own dis- disgust with it. Yeah. Uh, but not less out of an ethical. I like, micro amounts of that. It probably yeah. wouldn't bother me. Yeah. Um, and, the, and then also the, the freegan aspect of it is if it's food that I'm not adding to demand for. Yeah. So uh, we had, we were at an event and they had, they had, they had pizza and the pizza was gonna like there's more than they needed I, I had some, I had a couple slices of pizza I wouldn't have ordered it I wouldn't mm-hmm. have caught the demand but it was already there mm. you know it's like the people who dumpster dive like that is like tr- you know if, they, if you dumpster dive and you get food that is like what could be it's, it's fine. not gonna cause any more suffering for animals uh, even if you're eating meat out of the dumpster <laughs> yeah. you know and it's sure is probably better for the environment not to waste yeah uh that's, so that's the freegan aspect of it, and the bivalves is, you know, so much of my motivation for this is uh, the primary is about uh, not, you know, nonviolence, mm-hmm. nonharming, uh, and secondary I it, it is environmental, and, and tertiary is a little more in uh, health. But the the bivalves are like or, uh, would be like oysters and mussels, mm. and for my investigation, uh, it, they don't seem to have the uh, nervous system that inclines the ability to. Uh, to feel pain in mm-hmm. a way that is much more acute than a plant might. Yeah, And so, uh, and also the way they're farmed, it actually is at, at worst neutral for the environments of the farm. And some people believe that the way they, because they're filter animals, mm-hmm. uh, they actually clean the water. Yeah. So, you know, that's, it's, veganism is to me is an aspiration for how we relate to our food such that we cause the least amount of harm we can cause. Yeah.
1: You it's know. an aspiration. I, I love that you said it's an aspiration because I think it's it's too much. It's not so much a religion or an ideology, which some people treat it like. I think it's more of a... And I think that causes people who are not that way or not eating somewhat like the way we eat to to think of uh, it as being flawed because there is no perfect in this world. And so you... It, Sometimes people assume it's it's a, it's a label of perfection, which which I disagree with. And for me, I, I I mean, I don't eat that most of those things because it just sort of disgusts me at this point. So, and I rarely find myself in a situation where it's the only option. So that I think that really guides my thinking around it. Not that not that I know I would get kicked out of the club if 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 something slipped into my plate.
2: Well, there's also a way of like yeah. A lot of, I think, what you talk about in your podcast, people you've interviewed, is how do you make this lifestyle accessible to people, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you make – if you say, listen, eat bivalves as part of a vegan diet, you're never going to have questions about B12, Mm -hmm. right? You're going to be able to go to French restaurants, which you can't find a darn vegan thing at normally, right? Or a seafood restaurant, it's hard to find things at. So it's easier to go into places. And if you make it 98%, -hmm. you know, then people are like – then people like when they're with you they see it more accessible for them as well. Yeah. So it's in some ways you can actually by having a little trace amounts of these of these kinds of you know animal products you may actually reduce the amount of overall demand by making people around being more influential to people around us. Mm-hmm. One can also make the argument, I think, as well, and I, so I want to say it's just not just that, but also that by us living tr- fully into our truth, we inspire other people, that they, they can do it as well. So they both work, but I think my my theory is is that come here, join me. This is, this is, this is, this is, this is doable. It's not that hard, and the fruit tastes great, and I feel healthy and better, and I'm happier because of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're you're right. At the end of the day, you have to do what's true to you. And uh, you know, you're doing that because that's just what you believe in what's true to you, and I think others need to do what's true to them. Uh, as long as people who are listening to it understand that um that they can just start somewhere, and that's more important than than sitting back and debating whether I'm right or you're wrong. Um it doesn't matter, really, do something. I mean, I'm not who am I to sit here and tell me, tell you what you're doing is eh, it's flawed or something. Because I think, and I think we get caught up in those um, minutia, little debates, which and lose sight of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is, you know, let's bring it back to the food system. The bigger picture is that we are uh, in urgent need to reform our current food system because we're not going to be feed. We're not going to be able to feed the world in in 2050. And in the process of attempting to feed the world in 2050, uh, on cheap dairy, meat, and eggs. Uh, we're going to continue to slaughter billions of animals. We're going to pollute the environment. We're going to destroy our rainforests and our oceans. Uh, And no matter which way you look at this, you don't have to be an environmentalist. You don't have to care about animals even, uh, and you don't have to care about your own health. It's just not practical. This current system that we have uh, in a country like America, we consume about 200 pounds of meat on average a year per You know, per person, that's really the average consumption. Um, It has to change and it's rising quickly in China and Asia. The question now is how do we, of course, getting people to change, changing the demand side of the problem, which you've focused a lot on. I've done a lot of work on over the years, um, sharing facts, inspiring people, trying to give them, writing books, (laughs) doing whatever I can to get people to wake up to the idea that what you change on your plate can change your life, but also the world. But how do we change this monolith system that exists today? And um, so what work have you started to do over the years? I know you um, you have a couple of different projects you're involved in, and more than a couple, I think. Um, how do you tackle that problem? So on the demand side, you can keep just living your truth and spreading it to people. Um, I know you also help a lot of um, nonprofits uh, in terms of you fund a lot of nonprofits and you donate to them and you you help out in that way uh and they're doing the work of investigations and um education uh which helps people change the way they're eating but on the supply side of the problem the actual food products um how are we going to change that so what do you, what is your sort of thesis we have looking at the food industry uh do you have some uh some master plan on how mm. we're going to fix this
2: <laughs> well i think the master plan first, I think, always starts with that Gandhian idea. If you want to, you know, change your world, you start changing yourself, mm-hmm. right? So we, we, as we talked about the beginning, you know, how do we inform ourselves so that it, to live a life that is more aligned with our values? How do we become educated about, uh, about the things we care about? How do we pay more attention to the consequences of the choices we're making, and see our, how we're, we're caught in this matrix, uh, food and otherwise, of, of consumption and of indifference, right? That sees our interconnected nature of life and to see what really brings us happiness and well-being. And I think living a, a life of, uh, of compassion and contribution, uh, a life that is really grounded in, in ethical quality of non-harming, makes us feel happier mm-hmm. we just feel like we feel a sense of purpose and meaning which is one of the key contributors to to happiness according to studies uh, and i think as from a, from you're talking about something more my overall theory of change is really about um, helping as you're talking about spiraling people like mm-hmm. helping spiral people you know forward on their journey mm-hmm. uh, and whatever they are helping them take the next step And so I really subscribe to this idea more and more that, you know, that veganism, as we were talking about before, is not a position. It's an aspiration. It's a trajectory. It's something to orient yourself to move towards. It's sort of like when you want peace in the world. Mm. It's not – peace is not like a place where there's no war. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have a, you could if there is no war, we still are have a war within ourselves and we're still going to be get angry with our neighbors. And that becomes very temporary unless we have peace within ourselves as well. And so, as we sort of see this North Star that we're moving towards and we make that the, the goal and that uh, there's a next step we're going to take and make that see everyone else to say this is a worthwhile thing to move towards. And they say, well, I'm not, I'm not vegan. I'm not, I think it's worthwhile though. And that we, we share that interest. Then they say, well, I'll try Meatless Mondays. Mm-hmm. I'll try the reducetarian approach. I'll do one meal a day, uh, vegetarian or vegan. Uh and for some people it might mean I'm gonna start eating I'm gonna eat bigger animals because it's gonna eat I'll, that way I'll eat less animals. Mm-hmm. Or I'll buy from a butcher that is uh, uh that is local. But the key things is, is all those steps, it's important that I think we make sure that every we all see that as as those are those aren't ends of themselves. They're a step forward and there's more steps to take forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my theory changes change is about how do we broaden a coalition that cares about this, that who are our natural allies? Because there's so many natural allies we have. And if we say, uh, well, to, to, to work on this issue, you have to be 100% vegan and you have to do it because you care about animal compassion. Um, and you have to have done it for so long. <laughs> and mm. you also have to support uh, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> uh, simultaneously to, to get your cre- cre- credo that you're a full heart progressive, then you really are making this a, a, a very high peak for people to reach the threshold to be, to, to, to be your ally. Uh, but if you, instead you say, Hey, do you, do you care about your, do you care about your health? Do you want to help deal with your diabetes? You know, do you care about your, you know, do you care, care, care about your kids' health? Do you want to lower health insurance costs, in the, you know, in the country? Do you care about you know the cutting down of, of the forest? Do you want li- livable living oceans? Um, do you care about food being diverted away from hungry mouths in sub-Saharan Africa to feed cattle in other parts of the world? And when people say yes, and what can I do about it? Then okay, here's one thing you can do. This is a step you can move in that direction for. And so to that end, we can to the point we can build allies with uh, environmentalists, climate change. Uh, uh, aficionados or uh, focused groups and people, uh, work with health groups, uh, to work with legislatures who don't want to subsidize negative practices, work with people who care about preserving uh, soil, Mm -hmm. uh, to work with those who just don't want to have the smells, negative smells associated with animal agriculture around their neighborhoods Mm -hmm. or the value of the land devalued because they're near the feces of uh, of a slaughterhouse or of a factory farm. If we can just have them sort of join our forces, then we can like really have a critical mass. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm really focused on these days is looking for where there's overlap in the Venn diagram and Mm -hmm. starting from there.
1: Yeah. So I mean, so you're not so. I think you're still looking at um, the role that activists and that that. Groups that are aligned or have some overlap with, with the work that you previously have been doing or that most animal groups have been doing and finding ways for them to join forces and tackle this larger problem, which is, yes, a, a policy framework today that keeps the price of meat, dairy and eggs artificially low. And, you know, then you have the labeling restrictions and the checkoff programs and all of that. Uh, that's going to take a while to undo, but it, we need to start somewhere. But then on the other hand, you have the industry itself. I, I, do, you, do you think this, this will put pressure on the, the meat industry to change its ways? Is that the goal? Or um, are you looking purely as a way for aligned groups to start getting people to change first? And is that way all your focus is?
2: Mm. Well, I, I think there, there's a story I read years ago about this some sports coach mm. who thought that the way he can make his athletes perform better – was not by picking one area and having them improve that like fifty percent, but doing thinking about all the aspects of their life where they can make one small like one percent improvements. So he worked on them getting you know going to sleep earlier. Uh, I think this is track, and then they had he had, and, and that helped a little. Then they had them work on uh, uh, on like stress reduction in their life, and then he had them work on eating better, healthier foods, and then they had them work on he had him work on the day of the event doing certain visuals. Uh, and then you did a little in practice. And all these 1% improvements made them like one of the best track teams they ever had and outperform mm-hmm. uh, their, their their competition in ways that was never expected. So I kind of think it's somewhat here the same here. There's not like one area mm. that's going to take us to this finish line, this transformation of our food system away from animal agriculture. It's lots of 1% improvements. Mm. And then the next year, it's another 1% improvement on that and 1% improvement on that. But if you know how compounding interest works that really builds over time yeah and so i think it's i think it's all of those things but Mm. i think it's doing all those things in a way that isn't saying that well what i'm doing is the only way to do it and your way isn't going to work or it's it's saying yes please do that and i'll do that too and let's work together
1: yeah because a lot of people and and i love that you brought this up because uh it's funny the timing couldn't be better because i really have been thinking about this in the last couple of weeks only that uh uh and maybe I've said it a couple of times on, on recent podcasts is that uh, a lot of people, and maybe you know, I've been, I can, I've been sort of guilty of this as well, have been so excited by the developments in the plant-based food industry and the prospect of uh, cellular agriculture, aquaculture, clean meat, um, the different terms we have for it, uh, becoming a reality with market uh, with products in the market that I've sometimes almost proclaimed talked about it as if it is the silver bullet that's going to fix everything. And um, as the months have gone by, it's only months, actually, which is good. (laughs) uh, I've realized that not one thing is going to fix anything. And even if we do have um, cellular agriculture at scale, it's going to take decades before it makes a significant dent in our existing food system. So in the interim, Animals continue get to get slaughtered. The environmental destruction continues. Um, people keep suffering from chronic diseases because of the food that they 're consuming that's pumped with antibiotics and raised in ways that I think most people would not be okay with uh, so that continues so you yes of course, you do need clean meat and you do need the plant based food industry to continue to grow, but that alone is not going to fix everything and i and I was starting to get a little concerned lately that um this whole, uh, everyone who's passionate about fixing the food system seems to be um, running fast to jump onto that bandwagon as the only solution. It is, of course, undoubtedly amazing and great. And I celebrate it all the time on this podcast. But it's important to recognize that that's part of a bigger uh, bigger list of things that need to change, uh, which won't change automatically unless you work on changing them. So uh is so so is this kind of new thing is this new thinking for you or are you always um were you always drawn to this coalition building and uh because at the end of the day you're talking about changing a system that's that is much more than just the end product right at the end of the day if you produce plant-based meat that's exactly the same as as regular meat all right people are still not necessarily going to embrace it. And you're still not going to be able to sell it at the same price because you're going up against a system that has multiple stakeholders in it. That is not just going to stop its ways. And that if you even, you threaten, you threaten farmers, you're seeing that happen already. Farmers, maybe the meat industry is investing in plant-based and clean meat, but, um, but cattle ranchers are not happy about it. What, What, what do we, what do we do about them? Now you can't, of course, some new systems are automatically going to displace some people that are part of an old system. But if we know that's going to happen, we need to start preparing for that right now. So I, and the last point before I, I let you respond is that I was on a, I was watching a panel yesterday where there was someone um, from the gra- who ran a grass fed beef uh, operation farm, uh, fifth generation rancher, I believe. Uh, someone else on the panel who, who runs a cellular meat company. And, uh, and and someone representative of the conventional meat industry or the factory farming or CAFO industry. And the grass-fed meat person was was very upset about cellular agriculture. Uh, and in some ways they ended up getting into a little debate on the panel, which I found to be, um, you don't realize you're actually kind of on the same side, because the real enemy is is where 99% of, of meat, dairy, and eggs comes from, is our factory farming system. And that You know, frankly, if you could get to 2050 where people are only eating grass-fed beef and that's the only way conventional beef is available, I think that's a win. And the rest is clean meat and plant-based meat.
2: (laughs) There's a phenomenon uh, they call horizontal hostility (laughs) that where natural allies end up fighting each other. It's also referred to as the the tyranny of small differences. (laughs) So we tend to like be most, I've seen this in my own body where I like feeling into it. When I meet someone, Who's aligned in so many ways, but is different in one area. I tend to focus entirely on what they're different than me. Mm. And when someone's totally different, I have lower expectations of them, <laughs> and I and I mo- and I find more equanimity or non-reactivity towards yeah. their differences. It's really interesting. It's this human phenomenon. Uh, and so you're speaking to the why I think it's important to be like to go inside. while we did meditation at the beginning because yeah. we see that if we can better see that tendency, we're less likely to like to take. The actions of that of the uh, person who does grass fed beef and to like chastise the person who seeks the same goal and who has a, has a different strategy mm-hmm. in so many ways or a similar goal um, so I think it, going back to your other parts of it, like this theory of change and sort of how do you make you know what you 're talking about you know the this panacea of clean meat and of plant based meat i 'm reminded of like how excited you know people who were progressive thinking were about you know Barack Obama being the president, and like that was going to change everything right <laughs> this, this is politics are going to be totally transformed now, and where do we today it, and like to the point we put all of our eggs in any basket I think is', is problematic mm. it 's problematic because I think it makes us uh because it's partly delusional; it's not. It usually doesn't work that way, and it's also problematic because I think it lets us get like like rest and like being a false view that oh I don't have to do anything now; it's all going in the right direction. Yeah, uh, a little laziness. Uh, I listen. I hope I hope these these technologies you know have a big impact. But if they do, it's only going to because be because of all the other efforts that are being made to make them. So make them succeed and be receptive. It's because people are working with, in political realms mm-hmm. uh, that expedite the these being approved by the FDA. It's going to be working because of people working in health issues. They're talking about how eating uh, animal products is, you know, causes type two diabetes and it causes obesity and it leads to, you know, heart disease. It's going to be because uh, people say that I now know how animals are treated and I want to find an alternative, but one that still appeases my taste buds in the culture that I've grown up to and I'm accustomed to. So it's like none of these things are an island. Like mm. they succeed in the context of the success of these other approaches as well.
1: Yeah. And and it's good to hear that from from Hugh you because you, most people don't talk about this. Uh, everyone's looking at the next shiny new object to run after. And yeah, there are a lot of shiny new objects. And I, I, listen, I love the the food industry and what's happening right now. Um, I spent a lot of time talking about it. And I think uh, all this money pouring into companies that are producing better products is only a good thing. Um, but it's important to note that it doesn't mean that we don't need activists anymore and we don't need people to hold um, big agriculture accountable for their uh, mis- misdeeds. <laughs> and, and you know, I've talked to a, a lot of uh, folks who work in nonprofits who are saying, well, most people don't want to work in nonprofits now they think the food industry is a way to solve the problem and it is partly a way to solve the problem um, but i think it again comes back to what we were saying earlier and what you mentioned is that people have to know what's true to themselves and if you believe you can be most effective starting a food company or working at a food company, then go do that. If you think you can be most effective going be an advocate for animals, go do that. If you think that the health and nutrition speaks to you the most, then go do that. And uh, all of it eventually is going to get people to change this terrible system we have today.
2: Yeah. To the point that we do what someone else thinks is what's needed, but it's not what our calling is,
1: Mm.
2: we're not going to be we're not going to do it very well. Like yeah. if someone said, oh, the most important thing to do today is to like to create good tasting food. And therefore I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a chef because I need to create the best tasting food. That would be absurd because I can't cook worth a damn. <laughs> no one want to eat my food. I could try as hard as... And you know what? Even if I got good at it, I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't enjoy it that much. Yeah. And so it, I wouldn't last long uh, at it. And so I, what is... I think where I have for myself and for others is what, are, what what's your unique skill set, your unique calling, mm-hmm. what makes you come alive and do that. Mm-hmm. And then do that in a way that integrates your values. Mm-hmm. And so that could be very special. I think of like, as an example, the pollination project, which mm-hmm. is this nonprofit I'm part of. And we make small grants uh, to change makers around the world who are in some ways are trying to make the world a more compassionate place. Well, it's, we, we don't have an issue focused. Uh, we work on every issue you can imagine. And there you can't imagine how many issues there are that face people around the planet and our environment that are causing harm. Uh, and what we've done, though, is we made sure that every grant we give out, people know that the money can't be used towards anything that supports animal agriculture or uh, uses uh, meat, eggs, and dairy. And so what's happening is we we are exposing... Thousands of people in a, over a hundred countries to this idea that you can't work on one issue without taking into consideration this issue. Mm. So they're seeing that uh, that if I'm that I'm focused on feeding uh, people in in the slums of India, mm. that I it would be it would be antithetical to do that by serving them animal products because I'm, wh- I'm helping one group, I'm hurting another group. Yeah. And so they're getting that. And so it becomes more inri- ingrained into other issues as well. And so in some ways I, I'm, I'm wondering is, is by not focus, making that an organization that focuses just on animal rights, could I actually be having a bigger impact on animal rights in this nonlinear way?
1: I'm not, I think I completely understand what you're doing with Pollination Project because the first time I heard about it, I was, it seemed very broad. And now I know it's broad by design because it has this very important connection to other relevant issues, where you're indirectly having an impact on the issue that you maybe care about the most, um, but actually spreading it in a way that doesn't feel um, very connected to the core issue that you're talking about. So, I I think you know, I obviously very much a systems thinker. I think Uh, it seems that way. I gather that from your from the way you you've been articulating your view on the world as well as how to solve the problems that we have right now. And I think with, with thinking about things in systems, it can get pretty overwhelming and daunting, especially if you realize that you are just a small part of one little cog in the wheel of a system. Um, But so how do you uh, sort of approach projects from this macro view of things? Uh, Maybe you're in a position where you can um, and, and, do you then get caught up in like reductionist thinking and start focusing on one small area? So I guess my question to you is really besides your macro view of things through the pollination project, which is really interesting. um, Do you get involved in specific projects that are very uh, nitty gritty on one problem or you like to stay at that high level?
2: Oh, I like to work at all levels uh, (laughs) because if I'm just working at strategic levels, like it feels disembodied. You know, mm. it feels like uh, I'm not getting touching my heart and I'm not building the relationships I want to be at. And I don't have the wisdom to make good strategic uh, choices. Yeah. Because I need to be, you know, working in, you know, getting my hands dirty to really understand what, what, what is being implemented and how it's being imp- implemented. But I want to go back first to that comment you made about like this, this idea that like I'm just one person. Mm-hmm. And that I can't, you know, and how am I going to change this whole, this whole, uh, broken system and more and more I'm noticing that's true. Mm-hmm. And it's so comforting to see that because I don't feel the weight on my shoulders the way I used to feel that like, oh, it's up to me. Cause that's just, first of all, it's, it's, it's also delusional that, that I think that I, that who am I, that i that I'm going to like change, uh, a system that's been around for, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of years mm-hmm. that is practiced by billions of people with so much powers, powers around it that, that I'm going to be the person who who's going to make that change. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that, so that feels a sense of ease. Like, I'm just going to do my best. Mm. I'm going to use my resources I have at my disposal to... to Live in a way that is as values aligned as I can be, and as contributory as that I know, with the skill and compassion that I've been able to cultivate. And so, where that comes from, it too is the point. Your next your next question is, how do you choose what you do, mm. and where directions you go? And it, it really directly relates to where where what supports my path, what supports my personal expression of love, kindness, uh, and service. And that's manifest in so many different ways for me. Uh, it, it, I'm part of a, you know, I, I'm I'm very much part of an effective altruist type group, if you will, of uh, putting together large donors mm-hmm. who are giving two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year uh, away to animal advocacy, farm animal av- av- advocacy organizations, uh, and together, I think we give, away, you know, this group gives away maybe half of the money to the the large to to the larger. Um, farm animal advocacy and plant-based eating groups. And so that's a very strategic approach. Mm-hmm. Getting together the biggest donors, making them figure out how we can co- collaborate with one another, uh, in- encouraging us to be as effective as we can in our d- donations, trying to bring in more people who think like us or would be interested in thinking like us to join the group. Very, very EA mind. And then on the other hand, I'm working on like a, a retreat center where we host, uh, we'll be hosting, for instance, a meditation retreat for, for animal advocates over Thanksgiving. It'll be our third one we've hosted, and it's a vegan retreat center. And, but we don't just invite animal rights groups there. We invite all the groups, and they come there. Uh, and they get exposed to the fact that this is a vegan kitchen, and we offer this on a gift. Mm -hmm. So we don't charge for this place, for example. It's just available for people, for for values-aligned groups who have some relationship to the organization that that, that sponsors it called Service Space that I'm part of. I'm a volunteer at. Uh, And they get to cultivate through meditation or whatever they're doing there to support their work in the world. And they're also exposed to plant-based eating as being part of raising our consciousness. And so that's a place where I go and I, you know, there was a treat at, retreat I was at recently. Uh, it was at an animal rights one earlier in, in May and the toilets were overflowing. So I was cleaning up, I was cleaning up, with these special toilets and I was cleaning up the poop. And that was like, that was the way for me to, to serve in that moment because I really cared mm-hmm. about these people and I wanted to use the bathroom. Well, you know, it, not be disgusted by, you know, <laughs> things overflowing. Yeah. Um, so... And that really served me to be able to feel like I'm, like, I, I'm not like a guy who's like, at 10, only operating at a 30,000-foot level. Mm-hmm. I need to operate at the ground level as well because you know, that's what nourishes me. When I'm nourished, I have more wherewithal and capacity uh, to, to serve mm-hmm. uh, these missions and the things I care about. And, and I feel happier.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, there's so much in there that I think people can take away from. It's uh, – yeah, people overthink what they need to do they try to think, is this a strategic move? Is this going to help me 10 years down the line? And uh, sometimes the best, actually forget sometimes, always the best moves you make in life are those that you're just inherently intuitively drawn towards. And it may, some of it may just seem completely, you know, uh, irrelevant in the bigger scheme of things but if you're drawn to do it or you need to do it if you have to fix that damn toilet you got to fix it no one's going to come down and do that for you maybe you didn't have time to get someone else to do it but um and that's someone who's kind of in touch with with who they are which I think is, is comes back to your um why I think meditation plays an important role in your life. And because pe- people, a lot of people think meditation is just, you know, sitting down and reducing a stress. Uh, and yes, it does reduce your stress if you do it. Uh, But there's so much more to it. I think even like the word vegan meditation has lost its meaning a little bit and has been commercialized in a certain way where people have this notion that you need to go to a studio and you need to um, do X number of hours before you are good enough uh, to call yourself a meditator. But at the end of the day, it's just getting in touch with what you really are and then being able to manifest that through the work that you're doing. So, given that you've you've obviously got your hands in in uh, many different levels of trying to solve problems and serve in whatever way that feels authentic to you, what are the projects you're working on now that that get you the most excited? Um, where you spend the bulk of your time? Well, and maybe I, there are two different things. Yeah, what well, gets you most excited? Everything's is- so
2: integrated for me. It's like <laughs> not like they're not different things. So It's like everything overlaps because uh, so much about, for me is about relationship. Who, you know, who do I feel connected to? Who do I want to spend time with? So much of it is like, oh, I want to spend time with that person. Mm-hmm. How do I find an excuse to spend time with them? And a lot of times people I want to spend time with are people who are doing great work in the world. Mm-hmm. So I look for that overlap first because e- even if someone's doing great work, but there isn't a heart, heart connection, uh, it, it, the liveness is lost. I'm thinking, you know, of a person I know who, who, who is running a very uh, creative and capable animal advocacy group. And he just gave, he just left Mm. and he was coming from an effective altruist lens and i betcha and he's going to something totally different but <laughs> if he had been done more self-care mm-hmm. that whole time if he even you know if, if he had done if he thought about this as a, this is a 50-year effort it's not about it's, this is not something you have to do in the next quarter but how do i do the most i can do over 50 years as opposed to over the next one year he'd still be around i bet mm. and so i think about it, first of all a little that way but in terms of, so what gets me excited, uh, backtracking to your question, what gets me most excited right now is that, I, that I'm working on is uh, we just held a, uh, a gathering at the beginning of October after the Reducitarian conference. It was done, uh, I held, uh, me, uh, along with ProVeg, who's out of uh, Sebastian Germany, Joy, Sebastian right? Joy, yeah, and uh, Reducitarian, Brian Kateman. Uh, and some people from the Farm Animal Funders held this gathering of people who lead NGOs that are not traditionally associated with uh, meat reduction work. So we're, we're talking about uh, environmental charities, health charities, trade chari- charities, public, you know, public legal you know, uh, justice charities. Mm-hmm. And we got them in the room and we, we talked about how, you know, uh, they all cared they came there because they want to work on meat reduction work. They think factory farming is an abomination. They see it is antithetical to the work they're doing and it actually hurts the things they want to create in the world. Yet they haven't been able to prioritize this. And so we had a conversation about is there a way we can work together? And it turns and that group of people in the room, they were mostly the exact the directors or board members of those groups. Their total budget was almost a billion dollars. That's ten times more than the entire farm animal advocacy movement. And if so if by us working together, if they were to devote, devote 10% of their budget mm-hmm. towards this work, which makes a lot of sense, we'd be doubling the movement. Yeah. Uh, and then that doesn't take into account all the social capital they have. You know, It doesn't take into account the fact that they have a total uh, uh, non-overlapping support group from what the groups are that are in this movement. So they can reach a whole new group uh, level of people, whole the spirit group of people than we're reaching. And often comes in times in different geographies as well. And they bring a, a skill set that's probably very different than we've we've learned how to build in our movement. And so I think about what the possibilities are in that group. I think like one of the one of the one of the groups that was there was uh uh was National Geographic. And I think of like what if they were able to provide <laughs> their like their video footage and their expertise mm. uh uh, around the visual impact of of factory farming on the planet and lend that to NGOs around mm-hmm. the world for their their social media yeah. like how much more effective could we be as an example so i'm just i'm really excited about getting new people engaged in this conversation to see that this is something worthwhile this is worth prioritizing and to think about how we can all work together on this big issue because there's no way that any of those groups or any of those individual movements are going to address this on their own.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's surprising and shocking almost that it's taken so long for someone to do that. I heard that that meeting was happening after that summit. And, um, and the first, I think the word that came out of my mouth was finally, (laughs) you know, finally someone's taking the lead and, and trying to get this to happen because on the other hand, I think we've tried in the past, but it's been, you know, why does does X uh, non-profit, environmental non-profit not uh, talk about uh, the vegan diet? You see, if you just reframe that about, uh, wait, why is it that you're not tackling this problem, which is uh, industrial animal agriculture, which you know is bad and agree it's bad. We agree it's bad. Let's all band together and focus on that problem. You just reframe it and provide a different perspective to it. You have everyone saying, yeah, we agree. That's a bad problem. We, but but when you say no, it's all or nothing. If you're going to work with me, you've got to make sure that you, um, you you know you don't um, you don't have a advertiser that 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 sells meat, and you don't do this, and you have these other conditions. You suddenly create barriers to to collaboration that shouldn't exist. So, firstly, I think that's that's amazing that you're doing that work. Is that under the fifty by forty? banner is that a new nonprofit that you're launching or have launched?
2: Yeah, it's under the fifty by forty banner, which is actually um going to be backboned uh by uh by ProVeg. Okay. So they'll there they will be uh, hopefully soon. are just beginning the fundraising effort uh to to build an organization in the US that'll backbone that uh and some of their other efforts globally. Uh, that are really worthwhile. That are really about this idea of um, of collective action.
1: And fifty by forty is um, a goal, to an aspirational goal, to cut meat consumption by fifty percent by the year forty. That's twenty right. forty.
2: That's exactly right. And the idea is, it's it's a goal. They call it a, a smart goal. I'm trying to remember the acronym SMART. But smart, I think, as a specific, smart M is measurable, A is um, aspirational. Mm-hmm. And r and T, I I just forget. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's on the website. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link so. to it
1: in the show notes. Um, so that's really exciting. And you also are involved with uh, companies in the food industry, right? Do you Are you an angel investor? Or how do you do you, do you talk to companies in the space? How directly involved are you with the work that they're doing or with the work that companies in your portfolio are doing?
2: Yeah. So uh, we're a part of the Glasswall Syndicate. Mm-hmm which allows individual investors to, to to participate in the fundraising for these early seed um, ventures. Also investing in Straight Out Capital 2, uh, uh, which is a uh, which has started the Glasswall Syndicate, mm-hmm. where they're making sort of like later-stage investments and some of the earlier-stage investments. And Lisa Feria, who runs it, is fantastic, mm-hmm. very capable – um, also, there's a, there's a few other funds that are coming up that we're probably going to invest in as well. Uh, but I think in t- I tend to want to move more towards investing in places where there's a relationship and where we can offer more than financial capital. I think in general, money uh, is best used when it ser- serves other forms of wealth. So mm-hmm. when, money, when financial capital can serve social capital, uh, time capital, compassion Compassion capital and uh, other forms of material capital—that's the best way to use it. So, mm-hmm. if I—if it's just a choice of investing in something because it's a high return, I'm probably not going to do it. But if there's an investment in someone because there's a relationship there that we mm-hmm. can collaborate on, and we can learn from each other and sort of create unknown, emergent outcomes, that's exciting to me.
1: Okay, that's exciting. Um, so it's it's we're in November 2018, and you've been um, sort of on this journey for decades now, um, involved in, in animal advocacy, in the food movement, and now the food industry and, and who knows what beyond. Um, what kind of gives you most hope in this, you know, sitting here today mm-hmm. in 2018? What, what gives you most hope?
2: What gives me the most hope is that that I can find the situation hopeless but still feel called to express my care, my love, and my use my resources for what I care about, and what matters to me in the world. Uh, I think quite frankly, I'm, the word hope is something that I don't connect to. Mm. It's very, it has this idea of, of this future that like, that's not just going to say out of my control, but a future that is, um, has a dreamlike quality to it. Mm-hmm. I actually really connect to the idea of hopelessness. <laughs> like what would I do even if it was hopeless? Yeah. And uh, because I want to do stuff that I would do regardless of the outcome because that's who I am. That's me expressing my best self. So uh, what, gives me the most, what gives me the most hope is that people find within them uh, the, uh, the ability to overpower uh, apathy and greed and, uh, and anger to show up to be their best self. And if we, all, if we can create the causes and conditions for that to happen, then the ceiling is really high.
1: I love that answer. <laughs> That's great. Uh you just destroyed the question but answered it in an amazing way. So uh uh I appreciate that. And you know, I'm interested and so since I've since you were so uh creative in that answer and authentic, I don't think creative, you didn't make that up. Um is there anything that discourages you? But what's uh, happening in, yeah. in the in the world in the food let's stick with the food and yeah. the world is a whole different ballgame right now. <laughs>
2: I mean, there's a lot of things I, I get discouraged by. And you know, I guess I, I think d- discouraged by people who are, who are natural allies with each other who fight one another. I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest pro- concern I have is where people uh, are looking for this, their, the differences over their commonalities mm-hmm. and the ability for people to work together so that they can really fight the real demons uh, that exist in the world. I think that's, that's, that's the biggest issue. For me and so this is why I think it's really important that we learn to calm our minds and become less reactive and see those tendencies and so I think practices like meditation become essential for us to overcome these uh, these intractable seemingly intractable mind states that are that Something about the human mind always looks for is looking for how we differ from one another versus how we are alike. Mm. You know, what do what is what is it that binds us as being our, you know, being our what our eyes you know choose to see in the world versus what is it that keeps us apart? And you know, it's there's a there's a great phrase I like that the the way that I the way that we see the world is a bigger reflection of us than it is of the world. Mm. And so. Uh, and to put a different way, Marcel Pro said, "The voyage of discovery seeks no. Mo- uh, 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 the voyage of discovery is not so much seeking new landscapes, but having new eyes." <laughs> and so, how do we? So, what gives me hope? I guess in this way is that we have the ability to transform the way we see the world, and therefore, that will actually change the landscapes.
1: And that starts by you know changing yourself. I mean, it. it you can't find that outside of yourself. Um, so, I totally understand why you spend so much time in inner reflection. Um, if everyone did that, you know, I think anyone could achieve and do the things that you're doing. Um, and I think that's just something that gets lost. And And I really, and I said this earlier, I really believe that we're all kind of in a, as individuals, as a society, we're in this, um, this continuing uh, spiral of evolution into something greater. Um, and it could be in, and I, without you know, trying to sound too too out there. Uh, I think, as you said, being vegan is an aspiration. I think this oneness is also kind of an aspiration, and vegan kind the idea of uh, of being vegan kind of fits within that. Um, and the reason I think we see, I probably many reasons for it, but the reason we see so many, we tend to focus on our differences, is because we uh, i think and maybe you agree with this is that i think people are afraid of of things that they don't know um so they fear people who are maybe at a more evolved state than than they are or different from them um but eventually i have i truly believe is that we keep pushing forward if if even some of us keep pushing forward you eventually will have able to take the rest with us um so which is why it's, it's, I, I, what I hate the most is when people get discouraged and stop doing the work that they are very clearly meant to do because it seems impractical, uh, in the short run. Um, but if you look at life in general, it is pretty short. So, what is the short run? Your entire life is, is, is a, is kind of almost nothing in the larger scheme of things. So, if you're going to spend most of it doing things that are not authentic to you or, uh, don't end up, helping moving others and society towards this, this larger, higher, more evolved state where we understand that we're all kind of the same and we're made of the same stuff, really, um, then you've completely not gotten the purpose of life.
2: <laughs> well, I'm looking at the the poster in my room and I'll read it to you because it speaks to exactly what you're saying. Uh, it says, This is the beginning of a new day. You've been given this day to use as you will. You can waste it or use it for good. What you do today is important because you are exchanging a day of your life for it. When tomorrow comes, this day will be forever gone and it's place is something that you have left behind. Let it be something good. You know, and if that's, if, if I can live my life. So every day that I try to imbue it with having left behind something that made that day worthwhile to have lived, then what could be more meaningful?
1: Yeah. I just, I love that. So I'm, I I think on that note, we're going to, I'm going to ask you my final question and, uh but i've enjoyed every second of this hour spent which has been uh uh undoubtedly the best way to spend an hour i think today um so i usually end up every podcast with this with question with this question it's a forward looking one um I, I really the way i frame it is that if you if the work that you're doing and not just you but all the other people that you're now bringing together and working with um building coalitions, whether it's in the food industry or in the advocacy world, if if everyone gets it right and we end up bringing about the change, or maybe perhaps when we get it right and bring about the change, if you look ahead at the year 2050, um, what kind of food system do you envision if you get it right? Um, so your kind of utopia, best case scenario of the world in 2050.
2: Uh, well, it's not just a food system; it's so integrated with everything else. Mm-hmm. And so, I see a system where really based on moving towards what I commonly refer to as gift ecology, where those who have who who can grow in their land more fruit grow more than they need, and they share it with people who don't have fruit. And those who are, can, who can grow uh, grains are sharing that with others. Uh, and those who don't have any room to grow are using their expertise to offer in some other way. So that we're all being, everyone's offering their offering their unique gifts. And from a food perspective, I think it's that we're moving towards uh, obviously a vegan diet. I would say is essential, but also more local as well, uh, less less processed foods. I mean, this is quite quite outstanding, um, but that. What is outstanding, I think, is different, is it's not just what we eat, it's how we eat. That there's a sense of gratitude around our meals. There's a sense of connection in when we eat, when we chew that food for, to, to the earth that provides us. Uh, there's a sense of connection to the fact that the sustenance that we get from this, that this, is, this empowers us to not treat our days for something meaningless, to live a life well-lived. Um, and there is a sense of, like, of relishing that like this... This, this human birth, which is so rare, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that we get to live and to use it in a way that really expresses our, our, our highest self. So, we're the, so therefore, that food becomes a way to build our spiritual path and our sense of, of connection and that we eat most of our meals uh, with others around
1: us. Thank you, Ari Nessel. This has been uh, an amazing conversation. I enjoyed it thoroughly, and I hope the listeners enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, And uh, thank you for all the work that you're doing, and uh, look forward to having you back on to talk more and following the progress of 50 by 40 and uh, several other projects that you're undoubtedly going to unleash on the world.
2: Thank you, Neil. This is a real joy for me to get to know you and to share my joys. Thank you, Ari
1: Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. Step into the world